This is your itinerary for travel and photography with your host, Rob Knight. Welcome to your itinerary. My name is Rob Knight, and this is episode number 24. Today's episode features my interview with my good buddy, Rick Salmon. And uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Rick, but Trey Ratcliffe, I think, referred to him as the godfather of photography. If you've been online looking into learning about photography or taking workshops or anything to do with photography via social media, you've probably run across Rick. Now, Rick has been a mentor to me, and I consider him a friend for a few years now. And he's one of those people that I can definitely say that I wouldn't be where I am without him. And, you know, it's hard to say thank you enough to somebody like that. But it's interesting that this episode comes on the week that I've been working to become a master in the Arcanum. And if you're not familiar with the Arcanum, you should go to thearcanum.com and check it out. It's basically a, a learning platform that was developed by guys like Trey Ratcliffe and Peter Giordano to offer the opportunity for people to apprentice under masters in sort of an old world way. So I've had a lot of experience throughout my career with mentors, whether it's my photography career, as I said, with Rick Salmon, or in my previous life as a tattoo artist. I had a lot of mentors that helped me get to the point that I was successful and uh, you know cruising along in that. So do you have a mentor? Have you had a mentor? Are you just learning by yourself? How do you learn? I'd love to hear from you in the comments on this week's post. So go to thisweekinphoto.com and click on your itinerary episode 24 and let me know. Do you have a mentor? How did it go? How did it happen? So without further ado, here's Rick Salmon. Rick is a Canon explorer of light. He's a photographer, author, workshop leader, teacher, guitarist. He's a proud father. Uh, he's the host of several photography training videos on KelbyOne.com. He's got a great series of photography apps on the App Store, and he's one of the hosts of the Digital Photo Experience podcast. Welcome, Rick, and thanks for being on the show. Well, thanks so much for inviting me, my friend. It's always fun talking with you. Well, right on, man. I, uh, I know you can give a presentation on any topic that involves photography. But uh, today I'd like to talk to you about composition and how our listeners can make better travel photos. So I wanted to ask you, first of all, what is your definition of composition? Well, that's an excellent question. You know, Edward Weston, famous photographer, said composition is the strongest way of seeing. So I think that's really something cool. <clears throat> you know, all your all your listeners, they're photographers. They see the world differently than non-photographers. Like, how cool is that? You know, you see light, you see shadows, you see patterns, uh, you see shapes differently than other people. You know, you play music, right? You still play, right? You play drums? I sure do, yeah. Well, well, you know that in music, there's a big difference between listening and hearing. You can be driving around in your car, and you can be hearing the music, but when you're playing with your friends, and you're playing your drums, and when I'm playing with my friends and I'm playing my guitar, I'm listening to what everyone else is doing. Well, it's the same thing in photography. There's a big difference between looking and seeing. So what composition does, composition, you know, to answer your question, it lets us basically cut the clutter you know painters think what they want to put on the canvas right yeah and as photographers we have to think what we don't want to what we want to put on but also what we don't want to put on so in other words painting is additive and most of the time photography is subtractive so we're subtracting elements out of this amazing scene that we might see you know so we're creating this composition to tell our story and my story you know might be uh, different than your story or, or a listener's story that, and that's what's the that's the cool thing about photography that we all have uh, you know different visions 
Right. And that, that's a perfect definition. I think it's, you know, photography is so much about what you don't include in your picture in order to tell whatever your story is. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's subtractive. For sure. Now, I consider composition to be one of the things that separates a good photograph from a snapshot, like you said. Uh, at what point does composition come into play when you're shooting? Uh, in other words, uh, is it the first thing you think about, or is it something that you sort of apply once you've decided what your picture is going to be? Well, actually, Rob, I think the first thing I think about is the light. So if I'm, like, in a location, I see good light, <clears throat> and I'm photographing, like, say, in Papua New Guinea, I might move the subject into the light. There's a big difference between taking a picture and making a picture. So I'm a travel photographer, so I make pictures. A photojournalist usually takes just what's there, although they work on the picture uh, sometimes too. So the first thing I look for is, you know, I look for the light. And then I think about uh, composition. But there's something else I think about. <laughs> After that, I think about how am I going to crop this picture? So I'm from New York. I talk a little fast, right? <laughs> yep. I, talk, I talk very fast. I know that. My mother always told me to slow down. But anyway, I'm giving a presentation, and I'm talking about the importance of composition, and then I'm talking about the importance of, uh, of cropping. So I'm talking fast, and I say, you know what's really important? Cropposition. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I mix the two words together, but now I'm using that term because... You know, sometimes we can't get it exactly right in camera. We, we might not be able to get close enough to the subject. And that's where a composition comes in. Or sometimes we may be so enamored with the subject, so enthralled and having such a good time, we say, oh, I really didn't want that in the left-hand side of the frame. Or if you're photographing like a bald eagle, sometimes it's not exactly, you know, it might be dead center. If your focus point is set that way, you might want it off center for a more uh, pleasing a more pleasing composition. So I, I'm always combining, uh, <laughs> I'm always thinking about composition. <laughs> yeah. And that's interesting. So there's a lot of things that go into the post-processing, obviously, that um, I find if you keep that in mind while you're shooting, it can really help on both ends of the, of the equation. Yeah, you have, to, you have to envision the end result. You know, you have to realize that, if you, for example, if your highlights are overexposed more than a stop, <clears throat> you're probably not going to be able to rescue them no matter how good you are. And I know you're an expert in Lightroom, uh, but, so maybe you could do it a little more. And there's ways in Photoshop to do it, you know, maybe adjusting the clone stamp tool and reducing the opacity and stuff like that. But basically, I'm always, unless I'm doing HDR, I'm exposing for the, the highlights. Gotcha. Well... Now, I think of the compositional rules, uh, like the rule of thirds and leading lines and things like that, just as elements and techniques that we can employ to make our picture stronger in some cases. Now, I've heard a few photographers and teachers lately say that the rules are not important and, you know, photography is art, so there shouldn't be any rules. I wanted to get your take on that. <laughs> I'm laughing again, Rob, because I uh, also want to give a presentation. You know, everybody, actually composition, out of all my apps and everything that sells, people want to know about composition. But here's what I say when it comes to the rules. I say, I didn't write the rules of composition. I'm going to tone it down for your listeners. I didn't write the rules of composition, and why the heck should I follow them? So, <laughs> so why, you know, yes, learn the rules of composition. You know, usually, for example, dead center, dead center is deadly. You don't want to place a subject dead center in the frame, but, you know, I have a picture of a flower where the subject's dead center in the frame. You know, it looks, it looks kind of nice. Um, the, the, one of the rules, don't place the horizon line in the center of the frame. Well, when it comes to a reflection, you know, that's beautiful. 
Um, so yeah, learning all these rules, I think, is important. Like the rule of thirds is is important, and the rule of uh, maybe the golden spiral. And these are things, by the way, you teach Lightroom. You know, you could you could overlay these on your picture. Same thing in, in Photoshop, and and I think this helps. But I think the best way to get good at composition is by shooting. Like, you didn't get good at playing drums by reading books, right? Right. <laughs> you got good at playing drums by uh, practicing. And I think that's what we have to do as, uh, as photographers. We have to, we have to keep uh, practicing. I think so, too. And I think that's one of the places that the rules kind of come into play, because everybody is not, doesn't have that innate sense of composition. So well, yeah, it, yeah. to me, if, you know, if I hear somebody say, well, you don't need the rules, ignore the rules, you know, what if that person is not very good at photography? Do you think they can still learn to, to make better pictures? And how do they do that? Well, I, I think, uh, well, you know, it's really, what, it's really what you like. You know, like, again, getting back to music. If I'm jamming and I have some friends, actually, Joe Brady, our friend, mm -hmm. uh, was over here jamming. And the thing is, we're playing a key. Uh, you know, like, say we're playing an A minor, all white notes on the piano. Well, you could actually play, you know, every note on the piano. It doesn't really matter what note you play. It's how you play it. And it's the same thing in, in composition. You know, follow, I always say follow your heart. You could get so caught up in, oh, I have to place the, the, the subject, you know, off-center, or I have to follow the golden spiral, or I have to use leading lines. You could get so caught up in that. And then forget the most important element in a picture, which is the mood and the feeling. Right. So I say, you know, think about that. Yes, compose your picture. But what what what's that picture saying to you? And if, if it's if not if it's not saying anything to you, you know, your composition. Maybe you shouldn't take the picture. Right. And, you know, sometimes sure. the, sometimes the picture's not there. But I think understanding. You know, I have a new app on. Uh, it's called Comp Conquer Composition. Mm -hmm. And it has all my best uh, uh, composition. Um, I'm looking at it right now. It has all my best composition tips in there, like the name of the game is to fill the frame. Mm -hmm. It's a good thing, but you know, then there's something to be said for a dead space. Sure. And another one, don't forget the foreground element. Yeah, foreground elements add a sense of depth and dimension to a picture. But you know, you photograph the bald eagle in the sky. You know, it has no foreground element. It, it can be uh, cool. So all these rules, like dead centers, deadly, they're all meant to be. Uh, they're all meant to be broken. Sure. I think. But but yeah yeah read. You have to know the rules first, I guess, before before you break them. But like you know, there's a rule of triangles. You know, you could divide your your frame into triangles. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it works. But if you get oh, well, I'm going to put this element in this you know triangle. Yeah, <laughs> right. You could, you could just get uh, get it uh, all 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 uh, all uh, you get get it all mixed up and you forget the most important thing again, which is the mood. Right. Yeah. The the content is a lot more important than than the composition. But you know, applying those compositional elements and and um, thinking about that kind of thing can definitely make pictures stronger sometimes. Yeah, like a, one of my favorite, actually, I have a new book coming out. It's uh, coming out in April. It's called, actually, I've written so many books. <laughs> As you know, I forget. It's called, here it is, here it is. Uh, it's my 36th book. That's why I couldn't remember. Wow. It's called Creative Visualizations for, Creative Visualization for Photographers. And I talk about composition, exposure, lighting, learning, experimenting. I'm reading the cover. Setting goals, motivating, and more. Cool. And I have a whole chapter on composition, 
But I have a whole chapter after that on the most important thing, I think, when it comes to composition, or one of the most important things, and it's separation. You know, we see the world in three dimensions. Our cameras only see two, unless you have a 3D camera like I have. I actually have two. But anyway... Uh, you know, so that separation, we have to think about if we have birds flying in the sky, two or three birds, that separation is important. If you have a model, if you're doing some street shooting, separation, if you're photographing a band and a good-looking guy with the goatee is playing the drums who you, used to be a tattoo artist and now is a great photographer leading workshops around the world, and there's other band members around, you probably want to, and if he's the focus of the picture, you want to use some technique to separate him from the other subjects, either by moving around or by changing your depth of field or by using a plug-in where you could uh, darken the edges of the frame or, or put the, uh, the edges of the frame a little out of focus. So separation, I think, is one of the, actually one of the main things I look at when I'm composing a picture. Yeah, that's a great tip. Now, when people are traveling, there's a whole lot going on in your mind. You're thinking about where you're going to go, where you're going to stay, what you're going to do, your schedule. And then at the same time, we're trying to figure out what to shoot. And I'm not talking about necessarily the, the travel photographer, the professional photographer who's traveling just to make pictures. But I think most people who uh, travel and make pictures are doing so um, not in a professional way. Right. They're, they're traveling and they want to make great pictures. They want to have fun. Absolutely. Um, so can you think of three common compositional mistakes that photographers make and maybe how they can be corrected for better, better travel pictures? Well, I think one might be, you put me on the spot, but that's okay. One Sorry. might be, no, it's okay. Well, I can, one might be that they leave the camera on the tripod. And one of my tips is use your camera like a spaceship. In other words, move it up, move it down. Um, and tilt it to the left or the right if you're photographing a person. That doesn't work if you're photographing at the Grand Canyon or the U.S. Capitol. But, you know, <laughs> using your camera like a spaceship, getting down really low. They don't do that. They just they get stuck. They get stuck on the tripod, and they just shoot everything at eye level. Sure. And that can be boring. Another Go ahead. I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm six foot three. So my, the first thing I do to change my perspective is to drop to one knee. Because <laughs> yeah. I see everything from six feet off the ground, so I, I immediately change my perspective when I, you know, I'll take the shot at, at eye level, and then, you know, I usually drop. So if you're, you know, shorter people might want to climb a ladder or something like that. Right, right. Well, you know, these the cameras with the flip-out screens, this is great for, you know, using your camera like a spaceship, holding it up high above your head or holding it down low on the ground. Sure. So I think that might be one mistake. Another mistake, I don't know if it's so much of a mistake, but <clears throat> they go to a place like uh, Arches National Park, or they go to Bryce, and you know, at Bryce there's Thor's Hammer. Everybody wants to photograph Thor's Hammer, or they go to Mesa Arch. You know, I can't tell you how many pictures a day <laughs> I see of Mesa Arch with the sun just you know poking out in a perfect starburst from you know the bottom of the arch. Yep. So I think a mistake might be that they don't look for their own picture and they don't look for <clears throat> a different site around there like actually i've seen a million pictures again from mesa arch but i saw one picture recently where the guy was off to the side and the look i hadn't seen that because hmm. a lot of people think the best shot is like right at this one spot where there's you know dozens of photographers at any one moment right so i think that might be uh not so much a mistake but i think that might be a suggestion and I think another mistake uh, travel photographers might make is that 
they get locked into thinking that, okay, I'm using the telephoto lens for people photography or wildlife, uh, and I'm only using a wide-angle lens for uh, landscapes. Well, a telephoto lens can be awesome for landscape photography. It can help us cut the clutter. You know, like say you're photographing, you know, a beautiful field. You're out in the Palouse out in, out in Oregon. And, you know, it's rolling hills, and there might be just a little barn there. Well, using that telephoto lens to w compress the elements in the scene, which make, we take, when we compress the elements of the scene, we're taking out some of the reality from the scene. So mm -hmm. it doesn't really look like that to our eyes. So I think using that telephoto lens to A, cut the clutter, and B, take out some of the reality and compress those elements can look very, very cool. And then for, you know, wide-angle lenses, a lot of people think, oh, just, again, landscape or street photography. Well, I love photographing people with uh, my 17 to 40 millimeter lens. I take what I call environmental portraits, pictures of the subject in his or her environment. So if I'm shooting close at like a 24 millimeter setting, I could get, by focusing one-third into the scene and using a small aperture, I could get the subject in focus, I could get the environment in focus. And the other advantage to doing that is the closer you are to the subject, the more intimate the photograph becomes. So you could photograph, you know, someone with, <coughs> excuse me, uh, you know, the long lens. The picture doesn't have that sense of intimacy. But if you go on my website, ricksalmon.com, and go in my galleries, which I'm looking at right now, Memories of uh, Myanmar, I have a picture of this nun uh, in this nunnery, and she's chanting, and she's surrounded by all these books. And I might be five feet away from her, but the pages on her book are in focus, the, the background's in focus, and it, it tells a story. So I do, <clears throat> so I think a mistake is people don't use lenses for other, other purposes other than, you know, they think, oh, telephoto lens, people, photography. That's a great tip, man. Um, well, how about, how about practice? Is, are there any um, exercises that, that you give your, your students and your clients to, to get better at composition? I say try to take pictures every day. Mm -hmm. of stuff that you might think is boring. Take a picture of your cell phone. Try to make it look interesting. Take, take, a, uh, take a photograph of your landline phone. Take a picture of your computer mouse. Tr take a picture of your garage and try to make it look uh, interesting. Now, I do believe that you have to fall in love. This is for me anyway. I have to fall in love with the subject to, I think, get a good picture. So, and I don't mean romantically. I mean, you have to say, man... <laughs> I would love, I would, I would love to get that shot. I'll do anything to get the shot. And by practicing, like, again, photographing your house, photographing your garage, photographing your kids, you know, the, all this helps because what you learn in one area, uh, you could apply to another area. Like the first time I met you, we were down in uh, St. Augustine, Florida, and I gave the challenge. We were photographing the horses on the ranch. Remember? Uh, well, I know you remember. Uh, and the challenge was to get the horse with all the hooves off the ground. So you set the goal. You knew you had to shoot at a fast shutter speed, use uh, focus tracking. You had to shoot a little wide so no part of the, uh, the uh, horse was cut off. Uh, you had to, you know, make sure your exposure was right. Well, if you if you learn how to do that, you could photograph running football players. Or you could photograph a, a bald eagles flying up to 90 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. So you could, so what you learn in one area, you could apply to other areas. And that's the cool, th well, it's the same thing with music. If you learn how to improvise in jazz, you could improvise in, in rock and blues and, and so forth.
Yeah, that's great. And then, you know, you practice in these other areas. It may seem mundane, like you said, walking around your neighborhood. But then when you do get the opportunity to make that once in a lifetime shot, then you're familiar with the skills and you're you're practiced to the point where you get that shot. Well, I tell well, I tell people, Rob, thank you. What I tell people is it has to become like iPhone photography. You can't be fumbling around with your buttons, trying to find your button, your exposure compensation button, or your um, focus tracking button, and changing your aperture and your shutter speed while you're shooting. This has to become second nature, you know, getting back to the music. You know, if Clapton and Santana are playing, they're not, they're not and Clapton's retiring next year. Did you know that? He's given a no, series. I hear that. Yeah, he's given his, his final, I think, four concerts in the Royal Albert Hall in uh, in uh, in London. Wow! But but anyway, if they're jamming, they're not thinking about what key they're in, uh, what note they're playing, how they're bending the note. How you know you watch Santana the close up of his hands, how with his right hand, you know, so many times he's adjusting the volume and the tone, and how he's getting the sustain and all this stuff. He can't possibly be thinking about it. He's just done it so many times. It becomes just like, you know, just plain. And that's what we have to do as photographers. And the only way, <laughs> the only way we're going to do that is by practicing a lot and doing, like you say, the mundane things like photographing your garage or, or your cat or, or whatever, or dog. Sure. Sure. And I, I think it's easy for people to keep that in mind when it comes to using the camera. Like you said, the aperture and the shutter speed and your, um, exposure compensation and things like that. But I think it's important to get to that same point with composition. I've talked to professional photographer friends of mine that um, they say, well, I don't even think about composition. But I think at a point, you know, you don't think about composition. You don't have to because you've learned that and you internalize it just any more than you go out and you think about, oh, well, I'm going to shoot at this shutter speed or I'm going to shoot at this aperture. You just make it happen based on what you want to show in your picture. And it's, you're exactly right. And it's, and it's the same thing with light. You know, I've been around longer than you. And, and I've been, you know, I've, I've learned how to see the light. So people say to me, if I'm photographing a dark subject against a white background or vice versa, um, oh, you're using spot meter. I say, no, I just always use the average metering because I've learned how to see the light. I know that if I'm photographing again, a bald eagle flying against the blue sky, and the bald eagle has white feathers and dark feathers, and the sky's bright, I just know automatically. I have to start, if I'm shooting on aperture priority or shutter priority, I know I have to sh- you know, start shooting at maybe minus two-thirds or minus one, because I don't want to blow out those highlights, even though, as a Lightroom uh, instructor you know, and an excellent photographer, you know, people always say, you move the histogram to the right. Well, you move it to the right as far as possible without getting blown out highlights. Right. Very so, cool. yes. So, yeah, learning how to see the light and, it, it, and learning how to compose, it has to become, it has to become like uh, second nature. There you go. So the easy way to be a great photographer is to take <laughs> bunches and bunches of pictures and practice a lot. <laughs> so. and, and look at the work of uh, look at the work of the great photographers. Like uh, you know, look at the I say look at the F- FSA photographers. Most of your listeners, my guess is, never heard of the FSA, which is which was the Farm Security Administration, where Dorothy Lang and Arthur Rothstein, who I interviewed, went out and they photographed the Dust Bowl and they shot in black and white. And you, you can learn a lot by looking at these pictures because the mood and the feeling of these pictures, plus the light, plus the composition. I say look at the, the work of the, of the masters. You know, today, and I'm sure 
well, I'm not saying I'm sure you would agree. Uh, I'm sure some photographers would agree that there's a lot of photographers out there who are, who are much more interested in being social media celebrities than they are in the art and craft of photography. Sure. And, you know, getting back to Arthur Rothstein or Andre Feininger, who I interviewed, yeah. uh, or Scavulo, or Yosef uh, Karsh. My, my guess oh, yeah. is a lot of your listeners never heard of Yosef Karsh, Karsh of Ottawa. He was the Ansel Adams of portraiture. He's like uh, Ansel Adams. He would take a shot and then spend, you know, a month processing it. Mm. So you could learn a lot. But, you know, I'm not about your listeners not knowing these people. I'm sure you've seen this. That uh, Was it Conway West is working with Paul McCartney? Have you seen this? No. Yeah, and people on Twitter are saying, oh, it's so great you're helping this guy Paul McCartney out. You know, I never, <laughs> I never heard of him. But oh no, no, do, do a search. Do a search. It's, it's like all over the news and the web and stuff like that because there's a whole generation, you know, of young people, you know, in their early teens who never heard of, who, who probably can't name all the Beatles. But then again, you know, I can't name all the people or anybody in Green Day if they're still around. Right. And, well, and you can see, you asked me about what Kanye West is doing. I, I have no idea. So I'm, <laughs> right. I, I'm, I'm with that. They're in, at the, uh, the Booth Western Art Museum here in Atlanta. It's actually in Cartersville, about an hour north of Atlanta. Um, there's a Hall of Presidents, and they have a, a portrait of each president of the United States. And from, I know from Eisenhower to both the George Bushes, they are Yusef Karsh portraits. Mm-hmm. They are unbelievable. That that for me is worth the, the trip to the museum by itself. Is to stand in front of these. They're probably sixteen by twenty inch um, Yusef Karsh photos. Mm-hmm. They're they're unbelievably beautiful, and they're all totally different. The light is is different on each one of them, and they're they're stunning. Well, they they're like they're like a Duratran, which is like a, a a print that you know was backlit. Mm-hmm. And like I said, he he works so long on the processing, and you know, just getting to that doesn't really have anything to do with composition, but it can enhance the composition. And speaking of great photographers, and by the way, while we were talking, there's a there's a ton of things on Conway West and uh, uh, Paul McCartney. But getting <laughs> getting back to uh, the masters, Ruth Bernhardt, I interviewed Ruth Bernhardt ten years ago. You want to f- see some unbelievably beautiful black and white work as far as lighting and composition and mood. Mm-hmm. Do, do a search on her while I'm talking, if you want. And, and uh, you know, she had, a, she had a lot of great quotes. And my favorite was, and getting back to these pictures that you were talking about that took Karsh a long time to do, uh, she had a great quote. And the quote was, you can't spend too much time working on a photograph because your soul is in the photograph. Now, if you have a picture of your garage, like we were talking about before, your soul may not be in there. <laughs> but if you go to Costa Rica and uh, and you and you get a great shot of a Jesus Christ lizard in the uh, like I had when I was down there working with you in the forest, and you want to bring out the detail, make uh, this picture look really cool. You know, you can't spend too much time. So, and I some people do when I give uh, private Photoshop or Lightroom lessons, oh, I'm spending too much time. You can't. Spend too much time. Your soul's in the picture. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's wrap up the episode with my usual five questions, and the first two are kind of linked together. So, what's your current go-to photo gear setup? Your favorite lenses and everything, and and has that changed at all in the last year? Well, I still have the Canon 5D Mark III. <clears throat> my favorite lens, if I could only take one lens with me, and I've said this for like ten years, is the 24 to 105 because I could do you know people photography with that and some wildlife photography with that. I was in uh, Kenya 
last year and I tried the, uh, I borrowed the 200 to 400. I borrowed it, the 200 to 400 millimeter IS lens, because I can't afford it. It's like $12,000. <laughs> right. But that's a great lens, and I just got the new 100 to, uh, 100 to 400. But you know what? I, I, there, a lot of people think they need fast lenses. So I have the, I have the Canon 70 to 200 2.8, but I, use, I hardly ever use it. I use the F4. It's smaller, lighter, more compact, and more affordable. And a lot of people have the 16 to 35 2.8. Well, I have the F4, the 17 to 40 F4, because most of my shooting's outside. So I don't take a ton of gear with me. I do take backup gear. Like if I'm going someplace in port, I'll take two 24 to 105, so two 17 to 40s. Mm-hmm. But but my gear really hasn't uh, hasn't changed. The the, the uh, are you Mac or PC? A uh, Mac. Yeah, I have the new the Retina display, solid state, a uh, laptop, uh, MacBook Pro. I mm-hmm. mean that's that's amazing. Yeah, it really is. My gear, my gear really hasn't changed uh, at all. Yeah, and, and you know it's funny. That's almost um, refreshing with everybody looking for the next big thing and and everybody th- wondering if they should switch this and that to. Um, and, and believe me, I think it's great. I mean, I, I, I use the mirrorless cameras and I, I think they're great. Um, and it, when I switched from the full frame cameras to that stuff two years ago, that was kind of a big deal, but, um, you know, I just use the tools that allow me to make the pictures that I want to make. So if you, you know, if you're doing that with the tools that you have, that people are, are getting this impression that they have to, you know, sell out all their gear and, and change everything around. I don't think that's necessarily the case. Well, you also don't need the top-of-the-line camera in, in a lot of cases. People come on my workshops, they have the top-of-the-line Canon cameras. I have, the, I have a great camera, the 5D Mark III. It's not the top-of-the-line, but it's sure. fine. So I think you always, you always want to think about your budget. You know, you know, what can you afford? And you, know, you want to think about your digital darkroom, your printer, your inks, and all this stuff. You have to look at it as a package. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Rick, what do you do when you're on the road to make your hotel room feel like a home away from home? Actually, I did a post on that, and I was just looking at it today. I have a, 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 a portable electric guitar. It's called the Escape. Mm-hmm. And you buy this thing called the iRig, and it plugs into the guitar, and then it plugs into your iPhone, then it plugs into your headphones. And it's like a, a synthesizer. So you play your guitar, and you have like, you know, I don't know, 100 sounds and like 37 beats. So I do that. Cool. But uh, that's one thing to make it feel like home. But the other thing is, back in April, I made uh, being healthy my number one priority. So I travel with those exercise bands. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I do my exercises in my room every day. And so with my guitar, uh, my exercise bands, and my fruit, uh, and my laptop, because I'm online all the time, I'm definitely, uh, so, you know, I'm going away. We go to Florida for a month. Uh, because it's so freaking cold here in January, <laughs> right. but it's I have all that, so it feels like home. But I think it is important to, you know, to feel good. So nice. that's why I have that guitar. You know, bring a hobby with you. For sure, for sure. Well, from a photography standpoint, what's your favorite place that you visited lately? I would say the Maasai Mara. Uh, I've been to Kenya a few times and Africa a few times, but. This was one of those experiences. We were there during the Great Migration. So, like, one morning we're out there, and we see 5,000, according to the guide, 5,000 wildebeest and zebra on the move, getting ready to cross the Mara River. And, you know, you list, I could say, 
Rob, you know, it was amazing seeing 5,000 animals on the move, crossing the Mar River. I'm out there with my wife, with the guide in a private vehicle. We're photographing this. The light was awesome. The dust, you know, created. And when they ran, you could hear the thunder on the ground. I could talk like that for an hour, and you just wouldn't get the feeling. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It was a total amazing experience. But I was also there with, I don't know if you ever saw Big Cat Diaries on TV, but the host, Jonathan Scott, is my friend, and we were there with him, and uh, he made the trip just uh, an unbelievable experience. But we were very, very... Uh, actually, if you go on YouTube, uh, I have two videos, 24 hours on the Mara, which I posted from there with my pictures from... Um, from just one week, from just one day on the Mar. I'm just looking for the for the link. Well, you'll have it in the show notes if mm-hmm. you go on my Absolutely. YouTube channel. It's on the bottom of my online classes page. But 24 hours on the Mar, I could not believe the pictures that I got. And then at the end of the week, I did one week on the Mar. So it was just what we saw in one week. And you know, getting back to the mood and the feeling. I'm telling the story. We we photographed this uh, this village, so, and meeting the people. You know, like you and I did when we were down in Costa Rica. We did the uh, the farm. Sure. So, so the people really helped to tell the story. So I would say that that was my favorite the uh, my favorite place recently. Very cool. It's always fun when you return to a place that you've been before, but you have that additional life changing experience there. Yeah, know? I would say this this was definitely seriously. This was definitely life changing because. You know, you, you sometimes you feel, well, oftentimes you feel bad. You see like a lioness, you know, tracking down like a, a baby zebra and choking it to death. And you see the life drain out of the baby zebra. And it is sad, but then, you know, then the cubs, the cubs have to eat and the cubs are the cutest things in the world. So watching that circle of life, I think, makes us think about, you know, a lot of things, including the circle of our lives. Yeah. Wow. And how, cool. and, and how precious... Uh, and how precious not only life is, but, you know, getting back to photography, how very, very precious and magical and wonderful and unbelievable our sight is, you know, that we can, you know, that our brain processes this, Rob, is just amazing to me. <laughs> yep. And we get to capture it. We get to bring that, uh, some sense of that home. It's yeah, pretty cool. It's very cool. Well, what's, what's next? What are you looking forward to visiting and shooting next? Well, uh, this year I have a, a workshop coming up in Iceland. We're going back to Provence to photograph the uh, the white horses. But you know what? I like everything, and I think uh, anything new and everything old too is fun. So I, I really I tell people my specialty is not specializing because I do like to do it all. So whether it's a bald eagle or a horse or a landscape in the Palouse, um, or you were on Route sixty six, right? I mean, how cool was that, right? Really cool, definitely. <laughs> you know, actually. I've been to almost 100 countries, and I tell, they say, what's one of your favorite places? I say Route 66. Yeah. It's just so cool, right? The building. There's something about it, yeah. There's something about it. Uh, we had a cool car. We we rented like a toxic, you know, the toxic orange Dodge Charger? Yeah. We rented that. And nice. So we, had, we had the muscle car. So I would <laughs> say, you know, follow your passion, but do, so, do something different. You know, Art Wolf, I asked him for his best landscape photography tip. And he said, what we were talking about before, he says, photographs a thousand times. So go someplace new and, and, uh, and have fun. And the more fun you put into it, I believe, as a travel photographer, photojournalist who's photographing, you know, po- poverty in, in 
wouldn't agree with this, but you know, you you, you make it fun. And I, my philosophy is, as you've seen when uh, we were working together, uh, and I hope we could work together again soon on some project. Um, I say, if you're not having fun, you're doing something wrong. Definitely. Well, thanks for being on the show, Rick. Um, tell tell everybody where they can find you online. Is there there one spot that's a hub for all of your your good stuff? <laughs> well, it's just my name, ricksalmon.com, and it's S-A-M-M-O-N. It sounds like the fish. But uh, if you go on ricksalmon.com, I have lots of stuff there, seminars, books, apps, plugins, and, uh, and lots of fun stuff. Great. And I'll definitely have all your links on the uh, show notes. Cool. So thanks again, man, and I'll talk to you later. Well, thank you. Uh, very happy you're doing so well. Uh, I remember when you just started out, and uh, it's amazing how you, your, your meteoric ride <laughs> rise to the top. <laughs> Thanks a lot, man. Well, if you like what you hear on your itinerary, please tell all your friends about it and stop by iTunes and leave us some positive feedback and give us a couple of stars. And thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. You've been listening to Your Itinerary with Rob Knight. Head over to thisweekinphoto.com to check out the other TWIP shows and get on our mailing list. Become a TWIP member to get exclusive benefits and member pricing on TWIP products and workshops. Start planning your next adventure, and we'll see you next week on your itinerary for travel and photography. Photography.